Um, I, I just want to first of all just thank everyone for coming. If this is your first time here in this church, then, then I join you in that. Um, I am also, it's my first time here, um, so we can be awkward together, all right? Um, and maybe you, you come here every year for the enrollment, or maybe you haven't been here in a long time, but you are very, very welcome. And as I was preparing this talk, one of the things that really struck me was the fact that you're here for a purpose. You might think that it was a last-minute decision or that you were forced into it, right, or you were bribed into it, but God has you here for a purpose. God planned for you to be here tonight because he wants to speak to you. And, and, and I really believe that God wants you to know tonight that he loves you and that he sees you. That whatever it is that's going on in your life right now, whether, whether you're one of the young people here or you're slightly older, God loves you and he sees you. And that's really important for us to remember tonight. Because we live in a world and a culture where, where right now we, we sort of get bombarded with, with information and statistics through, through TV, through social media, through our newspapers, that I think very often makes us feel like we're just another number, that we're just another body in the crowd, just another random statistic. And we almost feel that anything could be happening to us and no one would even notice. We would feel unseen. So maybe for some of the young people sitting here tonight in, um, in uniform, they, they feel unseen in school. You, you feel like another number. You feel like one of hundreds, maybe even thousands of young people with all sorts of drama and tension going all around you. Maybe you're, you're older person in the room and within the workplace, within your community, even within this church, you feel sometimes there's so much happening you're just another number. We turn on the TV, right? We watch the news and we see just story after story of, of horrific events, of horrible situations. And again, they almost hit us as if it's just, just another statistic, just another number. Someone living in poverty, someone not able to afford food or to be able to turn the heat on. People who are, who are struggling with, with the wars that are going on in their country human rights issues, but again, it's just statistics, numbers. We forget the fact that these are people, that they're sons and daughters, husbands and wives, brothers, sisters. These are people. And with, with a culture that, that thinks this way, we can all be sitting in here tonight and we can feel exactly the same way, that we're just another body, another number that's just sitting on a seat. Nobody knows us. Nobody sees us. I want you to know tonight that God sees you. Every single one of you has been created by God. The scripture tells us that each and every one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together by our creator. He knew us before we were even a formed substance. He knows everything about us and he loves us. So as you sit here tonight, you're not here by mistake. You're not unknown. You're not unseen. No, instead, the creator of the universe has you here for a purpose because he wants to speak to you tonight. So I'd love to pray for us all. And then I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk you through that passage that we heard and read so well just a moment ago. 
And what I want you to see is an all-powerful, all-loving God that loves you, that sees you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that every person here tonight is known and loved by you. I pray that tonight, whatever, no matter what is going on in their lives, no matter when the last time they happened to, to step into a church was or, or how close or distant they feel from you, I pray that tonight you will speak to them that tonight they will feel deep down within them the love of God, a love that will transform them, a love that will let them know they're not alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So with that being said, I wanna walk through a story that for me is just so powerful. And you know what, we have a habit when we go to church where we walk into a church building and someone like me, right, they, they stand up and they, they teach from the Bible and instantly we glaze over, don't we? And we go, oh, this is going to be boring, right? You three in particular, okay? <laughs> and, and we read from the text, right? We, we open up our Bibles. We start to read from this book. And, I, and again, for some of you who've been to church all your life, you're like, oh, this story, I've heard it. I'll wait till he gets to the good bit. For some of you, you're thinking, I don't like the Bible, I don't want to listen to the Bible because it's boring, it's not, there's nothing there for me. So as soon as we start to go through this again, we just have this habit where we want to switch off and daydream about what's for supper. Vita, cheese, pancakes, right? Who's borrowing the pancake maker tonight? That's the question. But what I want you to do is I want you to, I want you to think differently tonight. As we go through this story, I want you to imagine that we're watching it unfold before our very eyes, right? You're all used to, to binging on Netflix, okay? BBC iPlayer, wherever it is, you, you stream your box sets, you, you binge on TV, we watch it unfold in front of our eyes. So I want you to imagine that as I go through this story, it's happening in front of you. Because the reality is, this is a real story with real people, with real emotion, and we need to be able to see it. We need to be able to feel it for it to speak to us tonight. So let's get into it. Verse 21. Jesus, up until this point, has been carrying out his ministry. He's been traveling from village to village, town to town. He's been healing people. He's been teaching the Bible. He's been eating with the poor, the needy, the broken. He's been winding up the religious elite. He has been going from place to place, and the word is spreading. People want to see him. People want to see what he's going to do next. They want to hear what he's going to say. So wherever Jesus goes at this moment in his ministry, people appear, people arrive. If Jesus and the stories about him were to spread throughout this time, sorry, city, right? I know, right? Some of you still can't believe it, okay? If Jesus was to be in this city and arrive, everyone in this room, I have no doubt, would feel, I, I want to go see him. I want to go see what he's about. I want to go experience him. I want to go listen to him. And that's exactly what is happening at the start of this text. As Jesus arrives on the shore by boat, people are there waiting for him. Maybe hundreds of people waiting for this man, Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, the so-called Messiah, 
Some say he might even be the son of God. They say that that he can do anything and they're waiting for him because they're hoping to get a glimpse of what he can do. And as Jesus gets off that boat and walks upon the shore, all of a sudden there's a bit of commotion. I want you to picture that. Picture on this, this beach beside this sea in the Middle East, there's a crowd of people and all of a sudden as Jesus and the disciples come on to the shore, there's this commotion and people start to move and all of a sudden this man, the ruler of the local synagogue, a man that is respected, a man that would have been looked up to, a man that would have had money, all of a sudden pushes himself to the front of this queue. He maneuvers himself to the front of this group of people and he falls at the feet of Jesus and he cries out to him saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. I need you to picture that. In amongst this crowd, this father, desperate, fights his way to the front. He doesn't care that everyone's watching. He doesn't care that he might look ridiculous, but he falls at the feet of this rabbi and he cries out to him, I need you to come and save my daughter. I need you to come and make her well because she is at the point of death. And this poor father is just crying out, desperately hoping that this, this rabbi may be the Messiah. And he might be able to save her. Folks, we need, a, we need a picture of this. We need to feel the, the tension in this crowd, the gasps amongst the people as this man just lays bare his, his soul to say, I need you. Will you come with me? He's desperate. It's hard to imagine what this man is going through, that he has left the comfort of his, probably his fancy home the physicians that are there to travel and fall at the feet of this Messiah, this rabbi, desperation. And when I think back in my life, to, there, there's a moment that instantly came to my mind of, of understanding this desperation this, this poor father must have felt. I, I have two little girls, Isla and Lainey, and I remember six years ago, it was, it was a cold winter's night. We were going through the usual bedtime routine. All the parents in the room, you know how it is. Very important you stick to the routine because they must go to bed at exactly the time you've planned. Otherwise, you just get really grumpy, right? You have no time for extra questions. Sure you don't? And we were going through the routine and Isla was just out of the bath and she's only one year old and she's sitting on her mom's knee in her bedroom. She's getting dried. And as I walked back into the room, I instantly sensed that something wasn't right. And I looked at my little girl, Isla, and she was just, she was just sitting there frozen. She was white as a sheet, staring blankly into the distance with her mouth open, rigid like a doll. And I remember I instantly just felt this panic, this dread go through me. And I, and, I, and I quickly ran and I grabbed her from my wife and I said, I don't think she's breathing. You need to run and get help. She's not breathing. Go and call someone. 
And in those moments, you, you don't think, right? You just start to, to react, you start to, to panic and freak out. And, and as I held my little one-year-old daughter, she's stopped breathing, she's rigid. My wife, she, she runs from the room to try and find help and, and I checked her airways and I'm trying to think, what, what do I do in this situation? I felt completely helpless, frozen with fear. I, I have no, long, no idea how long I was there, but I, I, I soon ran down the stairs and out into the street, the cold of the night, and I thought, I have no idea what to do, and I'm shouting, just help me. Will somebody help me? And I ran to my neighbor's house, an elderly couple, and I banged on the door, and as they opened it, I just held my daughter and handed her over, and I just said, she's, she's not breathing. I don't know what to do, she's not breathing. I remember that moment in the hallway of my neighbor's house, I just slumped to the ground against the wall and I just, just sobbed, I just wailed. Because to me, my, my daughter was gone. I'd lost her forever. And what felt like a lifetime, all of a sudden there was this gasp <gasps> and then this crying. This, this wailing of this little girl, and I couldn't believe it. And I jumped from my feet, and I held her, and I just cried, and I cried, and I cried. It turns out that, that my little girl, Isla, she'd had a, a convulsion, a, a fit, where she had she'd stopped breathing. Her temperature had spiked, and, and it caused her to stop breathing. And by actually running out into the street, I unknowingly had... A, helped her temperature to drop down, which, which had brought her out of this seizure and allowed her to breathe. But in that moment, which will never leave me, which will haunt me all of my life, as I desperately handed her over and just said, help me, I realized that I could do nothing. That's the emotion in this story. As this father falls at the feet of Jesus, he knows that he can do nothing but cry out to God. Jesus, we're then told in verse 24, went with him. And it says that a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And I love that picture. So here we have Jesus says to this father, yes, I will come with you. And maybe he picks him up and he says, lead me, show me, show me where we need to go. Let's, let's go. And they start to walk towards this house and the crowd all of a sudden, the, the sort of the whole atmosphere changes. All of a sudden, there's, there's this excitement, there's electricity buzzing from people to people as they whisper, Jesus is going to heal this little girl. We need to go and see Jesus heal this little girl. And the people thronged about him, it says. I imagine it's like a crowd of people leaving some sort of event just all pressed together, a sea of bodies all moving in one direction, all going with a purpose. If you've ever been to a concert, maybe you've been to, been to the Kingspan Stadium or the Aviva Stadium, or maybe if you're lucky, you've been to the best place in the world, Anfield, to watch the greatest team. And as you leave that stadium, the, the crowd are just moving with you. If you wanted to stop and tie a lace, you, you have no option. You can't. You've got to keep moving because the crowd is pressed against you. It's a wave of people. That's what I picture here. This movement of people heading off to see Jesus 
heal this little girl. And as this story is unfolding, as this, this remarkable event is taking place, there's another story that's happening at the same time. Because just like in our lives, everyone's life is ongoing at the same time. One person's struggling doesn't take away from your struggle. And what we are then introduced to in verse 25 was this woman who had been struggling for 12 years with a physical illness. For 12 years, she'd had this constant discharge of blood. This physical illness that is so debilitating that it was completely ruining her life. It tells us that she had suffered much under many physicians. She'd gone from doctor to doctor to try and get help, but they, in fact, had just made her worse. She had spent all her money trying to get better, all her money on everything she could think about to try and stop this bleeding to be healed, and it made her worse. Picture that. Some of you people in this room, you know what it's like to suffer and struggle with a physical illness. This woman's been struggling for 12 years, and it has completely ruined her life. This type of illness was not only debilitating, but it also would have had her marked as unclean. At this time and period in society, to have such an illness, you would have been called unclean. Meaning, you couldn't go to the temple, you couldn't go to the market, you couldn't go to the well, anyone to come in contact with you, to touch what you've touched, they too would have been labeled unclean. So this woman is physically unwell. She's used up all her money, and now she's been rejected by her community. Most likely living on the outskirts of the town, having to stay away from people. You can just imagine the, the, the physical pain, but also the mental turmoil as she just feels broken, rejected, lonely. These are emotions that we can all relate to. Broken, rejected, lonely, unworthy, unloved. This is the stuff that a lot of us in this room are struggling with today. And this woman's going through this and she suddenly realizes that there's only one option left. She's heard reports that there's this rabbi Jesus, that he's in town, apparently he can heal people. Apparently, he actually eats and, and, and spends time with sinners. Some people say that he might even be the son of God. And she suddenly thinks, I'm going to risk my life to encounter Jesus. You see, this woman wouldn't be allowed in this crowd. To be found in amongst this crowd of people, to be found in amongst Jesus and the disciples, she was putting her life at risk because she could have been stoned to death. But yet, she looked at her situation, physically unwell, no money, no home, no friends, no family, no community, lonely, depressed. Why not risk it all? Why not risk it all to encounter Jesus because if he is who people say he is? He could change her life forever. So as this crowd 
throngs around Jesus as this wave of people moves towards this man's home. In amongst them is this lawbreaker, this woman. She's snuck in amongst them. She's covered herself so no one can recognize her. And as Jesus walks past, it says that she came up behind him in the crowd. She reached out and she touched his garment. That's all she did. She didn't need an introduction. She didn't have to tackle him to the ground. There was no, nothing magic, no sort of saying that she had to say. No, she simply was willing to reach out and touch his garment. And in that moment, we're told that immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Freed from the pain and the suffering. Made clean. Now, people would want us to believe that our God is, is not a personal God. That if he is real, that he's distant that he doesn't have time for us. This story reveals a completely different God to me. This story highlights how personal Jesus is as our savior. Because instead of this woman then sneaking off away to live her life, to be happy, to find her community and her family again. No, no, that, that's not what happens. No, instead in this moment, despite the fact he had somewhere to be, despite the fact that he had a little girl to save, we're told that Jesus perceives that the power has gone out from him and immediately he stops and he turns around. Picture that. The creator of the universe has so much going on, yet he has time to stop and turn around because there's a woman who needs more than physically healed. She needs emotionally and spiritually healed as well. Jesus then stops and he says to the crowd, okay, who touched me? Imagine that, everyone's moving, all of a sudden, whoa, he stopped, what's going on? Jesus turns around, who touched me? I love his disciples, right? They're just always putting their foot on it. It's definitely Peter. It doesn't tell us who it is, but I think it's Peter. And he's just like, the whole crowd's pressing against you. What, do you. what do you mean who touched you, right? It's almost that agitated, like, why are you stopping? Everyone's touching you. We have somewhere to go. Let's keep moving. That's kind of the attitude we get here from the disciples. But Jesus says, no, no, who touched me? And he looks around to see who it was. Jesus knows who it is, but he's creating an opportunity. And all of a sudden, you can imagine the commotion in the crowd is this, this woman maybe reveals herself and she comes to the feet of Jesus and she falls at his feet. The gasp from the crowd, I imagine, would have been audible as people suddenly would have been thinking, wait a second, she's unclean. This woman, we knew her. I've seen her on the outskirts of town. They would have taken a step back People might have been readying themselves, trying to find a stone. But in this moment, as she sits at the feet of Jesus in fear and trembling, it says she, she told him the whole truth. I imagine she told him everything. Not just what had happened in that moment, 
but everything. From the first day she became unwell, the whole 12 years, what she'd went through, how lonely she was, how broken she felt, and how she was willing to risk everything just to simply touch his garment. Jesus in that moment, for me, just shows us who God really is. This woman is already healed. This woman has already been restored physically. But the fact that Jesus was willing to stop and turn around, let her know that he sees her. I see you in your pain. The fact that he was willing to let her tell him everything shows me that this is a God that is willing to say, I want to hear from you. I want to know what you're going through. I have time to listen because I love you. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the only time that Jesus is recorded, recorded of calling a woman daughter. And as I read that, I, I think of my own little girls and I think that that is a term of endearment. That in the midst of her pain and her suffering and her healing, Jesus needs her to know, not only do I see you, not only do I have time to listen to you, but I need you to know that I love you, that you are mine, that I am your heavenly father, that you are my daughter, and I love you unconditionally. And this woman... We don't hear anything else about her, but she goes in peace, healed, her life transformed by an encounter with Jesus. And folks, as we, as we read that text tonight, I, I need you to see that this is us. This is you, this is me. No matter what is going on in your life, no matter how, how messed up it is, how broken you feel, how bad your finances are, how, how struggling your marriage is, no matter how difficult school is, your friendships, no matter what mistakes you feel that you're making, no matter how lonely you feel, no matter how depressed or down you feel, no matter what you're going through, tonight you need to know that God sees you. This might be the first time you've sat in a church. God sees you and he loves you. And you might think that there's so much going on in the world, God's too busy for me, but I need you to know tonight that no, God will stop and turn around for every single one of us. That he will listen to every single one of us, that he will be there for every single one of us. But what we need to be willing to do is to risk everything, to have an encounter with him. Maybe you need to risk a reputation. Maybe you just need to risk everything that you've been fighting against your whole life to actually say, you know what, Jesus, I need to meet with you tonight. I want to encounter you. I want to say sorry for all the stuff that I've done wrong in the past, all the mess that I've made, but I need you in my life. I want to reach out to you, Jesus, because I need you to heal me. I need you to be with me. I need you to see me. That's exactly what we see happening here. And just like this woman, you need to know tonight that because of Jesus, 
because of his sacrifice on the cross, each and every one of us can be sons and daughters of the king. Forgiven, redeemed. And you're maybe wondering then, well, what about the little girl? Word comes back. Word comes back, a, a messenger from the, the man, the ruler's house from the synagogue, Jarius, and says, that there's, there's no point in bothering the teacher. This, your little, your girl, little daughter's died. Can you imagine that? Imagine the wailing of this father as he hears that news. But Jesus says, no, no, do not fear, only believe. In the midst of that crowd, I can imagine people thinking, Jesus is really messed up. <laughs> Why did he stop to help that woman when there's a little girl dying? Why did he stop and listen to her whole story when she was already healed when this little girl is dying? I can imagine so many people thinking like each and every one of us, where is God when we need him? What about his timing? Why is he not moving? And what we learn from this story is that God's timing is perfect. We don't always understand what God is doing, but God works all things for his good. God is all loving, all powerful. And in this story, Jesus goes on to this man's house. He goes into this little girl who everyone believes is dead and he says, little girl, get up and walk. And he raises her from the dead. And that is amazing for us tonight because it shows us that an all-powerful God has the ability to overcome death. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, it was so that every single one of us could be forgiven and set free from death and have eternal life. But you know what it takes? It takes for us to have the courage to risk everything, to reach out and say, Jesus, I want to encounter you tonight. I need to meet with you tonight. And I can promise you that if you do that, you will meet a God that is so powerful, so loving, that your life will never be the same. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you that, that you've made each and every one of us. We are not here by chance. We are not just another number. We're not just another body on a seat, but we are your creation, fearfully and wonderfully made. You look upon us and you see a masterpiece. God, I pray tonight that for those that are hurting, they will feel your love. For those that are lonely, they will feel seen. God, I pray for those that do not know you, that they will take that risk to reach out and say, Jesus, I need you. God, help us to live a life that glorifies you. Help us to live our life as sons and daughters of the King. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.